welcome again tonight and greetings in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. A blessing to be here. It's a good... It's been a good week. At least it has been for me and I... Not sure what all the Lord has for us this evening in the message. I'm going to trust Him in it. So what I'm going to do is say, God be with you till we meet again. Planning on leaving in the morning. I'm not sure exactly what time. I don't know if I'll get to see you all as students. But thanks for loving me. Thanks for your patience with me. And I hope by God's grace that you will remember what you've been taught about the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I guess I have one more time to straighten you out before I send you home, <laughs> or before you're sent home. And uh, this message tonight is not just for the young people, it's for all of us. Um, running disciples. The burden has been to give you encouragement to launch out. When it was mentioned to me about speaking on running disciples, my mind went to... Dis- to two of the disciples in the New Testament that actually one outran the other. Can you tell me who they were? Peter and John. Peter and John. Who won? But who went in the tomb first? Peter did. did. It really, really wonders me how that was. Supposing you were living in that area and you're out maybe sweeping the walk or the street or whatever in front of your house and all of a sudden here goes where's he running to and then here comes a shorter fella with not quite as long of legs and he goes rushing by you would assume I picture the people there in that area were looking down the street wondering why are they running well they had gotten a message that that tomb was empty And they were running to go see if it was true. That's the first thing that came to my mind when it was mentioned about running disciples. They wanted to run to see if what they were told, that the stone has been rolled away, and that, where's Jesus? They got in there, and or John looks in, and Peter, he comes rushing right in, and they see the the napkin and everything that was left. <clears throat> well, I don't think the burden for titling Running Disciples had anything for me to share with you about trying to outrun each other physically. But spiritually, we can draw some applications. I want to tell you a story, and this time it's a true story. It's not a tractor story like I told you the other day. This is a true story, and it's a story that happened, or an account, I'm not going to call it a story, it's a true account of something that happened when I was, I believe, about 10 years old. In our area, we do get cold weather, and there's a lake not too far from where we live. I have no idea how many acres are on this lake, but it's it's big. Now, one end of, at one end of the lake, or towards the end of the lake, they, they put posts in, down in through the, the, down through the, to the bottom of the, of the lake, 
And then when it freezes over, there's these posts that are sticking up out of the ground about two or three feet. And then they have a cable that goes from one post to the other. And on the one side, you're not allowed to skate. And they actually put something in the, the water so that it doesn't freeze in that area so that the geese or those that didn't migrate north or, I'm sorry, south far enough have a place to land. And it's well known as you are skating that you don't cross that cable. Now that cable is very, is at a spot that is very safe. You could go on the other side of the cable and it would still be safe for a little, a little, a little bit. Well, a lot of different church youth groups use this lake. And it was on Christmas Day. People had all their different, I'm sure, Christmas dinners. And we decided we're going to go skating. And how youth do, from the different churches, we all kind of had our huddle. Just like we live sometimes, you know, we all had our huddle. Because those youth over there, we're not too sure about. So then this other group is over here, and I'm, I'm guessing there was maybe four or five groups, and we had, our, we had our area that we were skating. We were having fun. I don't know. We were playing tag. I was only 10 years old. I was with my sister. She's five years older. I probably was a little older than 10, maybe 12. <clears throat> All of a sudden, we hear a cry. And everyone turns and looks towards the cry. And here are two teenage boys. Somehow got on the wrong side of that cable. And all I picture is this cry of help. And the ice breaks and they rush down or they fall into the, into the lake. All the groups stop. Everyone stops skating and what is happening? All of a sudden, one boy from one of the groups, he took off. He had hockey skates on. I don't know how he could take off so fast. And he took off because he heard a cry for help for someone that needed help. And as he was going, off was coming his, I don't know, you call those beanies around here or not? There's uh, stocking caps. We call them beanies in our area. I don't know. Off came the beanies. Off came the coat, the mittens, the gloves. And he was headed for that cable. When he got to the cable, he took one leap over the cable. But as he was going, another young man from another group took off. He heard a cry for help. And as he's going, he's doing the same thing. Off is coming. Why were they doing that? And then the third boy from a third group took off and headed for that cry. And they all three, if I remember right, just jumped over that cable as if it wasn't there. And as they kept going, the ice started breaking. These, these young men, by that time, they all three were fairly close together, just laid down on the ice and started moving over to where the young men had fallen in. As they got there, <clears throat> One of the young men that fell in came to the surface. 
and they were able to get him out. But it was not easy because as they kept trying to get him out, the ice kept breaking and they kept going back until eventually the ice held them. And one of the men, which is now my brother-in-law, went in the water and went down. He was, he's very athletic, swimming to try to find this other boy. If I have it right, he did touch him. But from then on, he couldn't find him. And he knew he had to come up. I remember they actually helped my, which is now my brother-in-law, out of the, out of the water. Um, brought him back. He was shivering all cold. They were afraid he was going to get sick. <clears throat> I'm going to use that experience tonight for five points that I want to share with you. I know we're from different churches, and in some ways we're skating on a big lake. And there's a people out there that are crying for help. I remember as they brought the body, they didn't, uh, they got divers in and everything, and it just brought a hush over all those people, all those groups, because someone had perished. And I don't, I don't know enough about the group that they were a part of or where the boys were with the Lord. We'll let that in the hands of the Lord. I never really asked. But someone went into an eternity. And there was a cry for help. How they got on that side of the cable, I'm not sure, but they said they would have known that they were not supposed to be over there. I don't know if they thought that they can, they're, they're better than the rest. I don't know. Or why they, that why they were even over there. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. <clears throat> we want to talk about the cry. The cry. Yesterday when we were in Seattle, all those people that you saw that are not following the Lord, as you looked at their life, as you looked at their ungodliness and everything, I want you to look at it through the eyes of God. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, died for those individuals. And as we see them, rather than looking at them with a, like a, a look of disgust, look at them as a as a being that Christ died for, and may your love go out to them, they are crying for help with all those earrings and nose rings and all their tattoos and everything that, that is on them. They are looking for something to find fulfillment in. And there's a cry that's going out. And this is what happens too often. I'm going to talk about the Good Samaritan, which is found in Luke Chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> Begin reading at verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind 
and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbors unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. I know we look at that portion of Scripture in Luke, and we think, well, that was a good teaching for those people back then. But I want you to know that same cry is for, for us tonight. That we're supposed to go and do thou likewise. We're going to see those people that are, have found themselves, just like this man that was, had been robbed and fell among the thieves and stripped him of everything. And as you go throughout life, I want you, when you see someone that is hurting, when you see someone that needs help, take time out of your busy life to take time out for them. It will be such a blessing for you to be able to, to do that. Why? Because God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, gave us a parable here to teach us to do likewise. To be able to reach the hurting. To be able to reach the ones in our communities and in our families, our loved ones, and in society. You don't need to go to Seattle. You'll find them here in Ellensburg or where am I right now? In Easton or something like that. But I want you to know that wherever you are, there's a need. There's cry. Tonight there's people that are... There, there's, there's mothers that are crying because she has a wayward son or, or a wayward husband. There's homes that there's been fighting in today. There's children that are caught in the middle of a divorce and remarriage situation and they're hurting. The little children, they're crying. In our own, in our own cities, in our own towns, they've been beat up. They have allowed the devil to... to Take their lives into realms. And sometimes if we're not careful, we have the idea, well, that's what they get for their life. When you, you know, the way of a transgressor is hard. And if you don't follow God, um, you're going to get beat up. But that never should be the attitude of us as the people of God. Our hearts should go out to Him and be able to. It is a cry. <clears throat> and I want you to picture somebody that's beat up and laying on the road. And here comes a certain priest. This was supposed to be someone that was a godly man. Someone that knew the law of God. Someone that told other people how to live. Someone that people looked up to. And yet as he came by, 
It says he saw him and passed by on the other side. Just picture. And he went on his way. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Now Jesus uses an individual here, a Samaritan, that was considered low class. I think this Samaritan understood what it was to find himself in a situation like the man that was laying there. I think so. He understood what it was. Maybe he was beat up one time by a Jew. Maybe he was beat up by someone. I don't know. But he had something in his heart that he had compassion. He understood what it was to lay there. And he had the compassion in his heart. Someone that um, the majority of the religious people of that day had no respect for a Samaritan. And here he comes. And he takes him. It says, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He knelt down. And he took that, that person and bound up his wounds. Friends, God is asking us to get down. God is asking us to get down to the hurting. But we are. Look who I am. I'm a brother and man. <clears throat> and I am. I'm a German Baptist. I'm a Mennonite. Are you willing to do that? There's a cry of help. A cry for help, just like those boys that found themselves on the other side of the on the other side of that cable. And this is what I heard. Well, they should have never been over there. Well, yeah. That's true. But they were. We justify ourselves and we say, well, we could have said, Whoa, there they went. They should have never been over there. But no. They found themselves in, the need, in need. And who else is to reach out to those that are <clears throat> hurting? It's mentioned there different times that, no, <clears throat> that God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, He has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. He has no tongue but our tongue. And I want to give you encouragement, young people. I know that we have our struggles. We have our areas that <clears throat> we need to work through. And sometimes we become so inward that we forget about the hurts out there. And it's all about me. God did not save you to be all about you. God saved you to be about others. God saved you to reach out. God saved you to tell others. And He is counting on you. I'm counting on you. The world is counting on you. Are you going to do it? Can God count on you? 
Do you even hear the cry? Do you see the cry? Point number two is the need for response. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Apostle Paul had a problem. He needed someone to go to Philippi. He couldn't find anyone. And that's what's happening too many times in our, in our churches today, especially if we're involved in mission work. It just seems like it's so hard to find someone that's willing to go. Dear friend of mine, sold his farm, sold his John Deere tractors, sold out and people said, why are you doing it? You have such a beautiful farm in Lancaster County, you will never have an opportunity to do it again. But he sold out. Why? Because he heard the cry and realized there needed to be a response. Philippians chapter 2. Paul had a problem. He was going to send Timotheus in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded. Oh, what a... Paul should have not have been... He shouldn't have needed to say that. That I don't even have anyone that will go. Who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ. If we're going to be seeking our own, we are not going to hear the cry and we're not going to see, need, uh, re- see the need for a response. I know we have response teams. Uh, Christian Aid Ministries has response teams, which I think is great when there's a tragedy. Probably in the local town here, you have a response team. That if something would you know, happen to me while I'm preaching here and I fall over, there would probably be a response team. How many doctors do we have here? How many EMTs? How many nurses? How many spiritual doctors? How many spiritual nurses? How many spiritual EMTs? In our area, among the EMTs and the firefighters and all of that, there's competition between this group and that group. It's not only in the churches. It's also out there. And... But they put a lot of energy into responding and how quick they can respond. And I'm thankful for that. But shouldn't we have just as much of a response for someone that needs salvation? Some of the young men in our area, some of the churches, they got lights all over their cars. When it's time to respond, I mean, they got the Flashing lights, headlights are going like this, tail lights and lights, and they're responding. Somebody needs them. But what about you and I when it comes to the spiritual needs of people? I know of a pastor that got a call in the middle of the night. One of his sheep of his congregation was struggling and needed help. He got in his vehicle and he put his four ways on. And he said, I was ready for the police. He said, I wasn't driving, you know, dangerously, but he said, I had my four ways on because somebody needed to get right with God. 
Paul's saying here, I can't even get anyone to go to Philippi. Philippi was not the nicest looking city. He said, I can't even get anyone to go to Philippi. Why? Because everyone was seeking their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. Are you a selfish person? Seek the needs of others. Reach out. Let's go to John, John chapter 21. Jesus was showing Himself to His disciples the third time after He had risen from the grave. Verse 14, it says, This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Notice he uses the phrase, Feed my lambs, which I like to think of as the young sheep of our families and our our, uh, community. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying of what death he should glorify God. And we'll get into death in a little bit, but death in the saints, it's actually glory to the Heavenly Father. He was asking Peter, do you really love me? Peter said, well, sure, I love you. Jesus said, if you're going to love me, you're going to feed my sheep. You're going to teach. You're not only going to show love by like the Samaritan, but you're also going to go and teach and share with others what God has done for you. And he asked the third time, and Peter, it says he was grieved in his heart, that Jesus would even ask that the third time. Well, Lord, you should have accepted it when I told you the first time I love you. How many of you love Jesus tonight? You'll raise your hand. How many of you love Jesus? How many of you love Jesus? Then feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. And that goes beyond our churches and goes beyond our families. Feed the little ones. You want something interesting to do is start a children's ministry. And it'll be a stretcher. When you bring children into maybe like a little teaching about the Bible, they're all over the place. But don't look at them in a negative way. They don't know any better. They don't know any better. They don't have a daddy to tell them how to live. They don't have a mother that even loves them. Many of them don't even know who their daddy is. They need someone to teach them. The third point is we need to be willing to give up the luxuries of life. 
How rich can a man be and still get to glory? Is a question that people have been asking for years, and I'm still asking that question. How rich? When are we rich? When is enough enough? Be interesting for this would be exposing you too much, but if we would start adding how much money do you have? How much money do you have? How much money do you have? What's your car worth? And what's your whatever? I don't know if you you have cows or anything? Okay. <laughs> you know, if we would add together, we would accumulate a lot of wealth very quickly. How many dresses do you have? How many shoes do you have? How many purses do you have? I'm just getting us to think. You know, God could use that money for something else. Am I putting you on a guilt trip? I don't mean to do that. That lies with you, but the luxury that we have. Someone was telling me that they were cleaning at someone's house and opened the door and out fell pairs of shoes. We met people yesterday that don't have hardly a pair of shoes. Someone would have asked you for your shoes yesterday. What, you took them off? Let's turn to Acts 20. Verse 33. This is Paul now talking. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Thought of that when we were at that mall. All those stores. I wondered how they even keep in business. It's because people like luxury. I'm not a girl, and I don't understand shopping. I go, when I go shopping, I go shopping for what I need, and then I'm done. And I, my daughters, they enjoy shopping, some of them more than others. But I've been trying to teach them to only buy what they need. guess I'm looking on the wrong side of the house if I'm talking to <laughs> girls. Boys, you fall into the same. Am I being too hard on you? I just want you to ponder this. You know, there are, there are pastors that ride their bikes into the back areas of India that for what you had paid for that third or fourth or fifth purse would buy them a bike that they could pedal back through into the remote jungles of India. All those extra things. I was guilty as a teenager. My love was in my car, my vehicle. I bought all kinds of stuff for that thing. You know where it is today? Probably in some junkyard somewhere. It didn't help me one bit. It took my heart. 
God has called us not to covet other people's possessions. We're not to covet other people's things. Have you been guilty of coveting since you're here among each other? Well, I wish I had a whatever someone else had. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen, this is what we should be doing. If you understand what it is to be reconciled, you understand what it is to have a restrained relationship with Christ. Therefore, in verse 17, therefore, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you doing that? Are you interested in reconciling people because you understand reconciling people to God because you understand what it is to be reconciled yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ? One of the reasons we're not doing it is because I'm afraid too many of us don't understand or have not experienced what it means to be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get a glimpse of that, when you understand it, you will have a desire to see other people recognize, uh, uh, reconciled. And when it comes to our struggles among ourselves as the people of God, brothers, sisters, getting my brother, sisters, brothers, make sure that if there is a strained relationship between you and another brother in the church, that you're concerned about reconciliation rather than division. <clears throat> I believe in standing for truth, but a lot of the things we, we go through have nothing to do with truth. It's preference. I told a group, group of young people a number of years ago, I said, I don't want to ever hear that you divided a church. Young men, I don't want to ever hear that. Had you been guilty of doing that? Point number four. Turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, begin reading at verse 16. Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go. To prove them, I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I am married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in, the, bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, 
Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Compelling them. Let's talk about these excuses. We're going to try to make it somewhat practical to us here. The first one, he bought some land. But he had a problem. He bought it before he looked at it. How many people buy land today without looking at it? Not many. Understand there's been some scams in some other states. They want you to buy a certain portion of land and you can do it over the internet and everything. But here was a man that said, I, I'm sorry, I can't come to the supper. I, I bought some land and I need to go see it. Another one said, I have a yoke of oxen. And I, I need to first go uh, prove them. Well, you don't usually buy a yoke of oxen without proving them first, then buying them. I pray thee, have me excused. And others said, I have married a wife. I can't come. Well, he should have brought his wife along, don't you think? That's what marriage is all about. So that servant came and he showed, showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant went out and did that. And, and then he came back a second time and he said, It's still not full. And he said, Will you go out further yet? Launch out beyond. Just like Jesus told the Peter when he had his boat, he said, Launch out into the deep. Launch out. Go beyond. Because I will have a supper. I will have those that are willing to come to this supper. But there were too many others that were proud about it. And they said, I won't come. And they missed the supper. Who were the blessed ones? The ones that were willing to give up those things that were standing in the way. What is standing in the way with you today? As you consider this cry, the need for response, the desire for luxury. But Lord, if I resign my heart, and I know you're probably looking at these and saying, you mean I need to give these all up at one time? What I'm asking you to do is first of all, listen for the cry. Then look for the response. And then God will help you with giving up some things that maybe are standing in the way. We don't realize how luxurious we do have it in our society until you have the opportunity to spend time in another country where they don't have. They're hungry. Are you willing to go out into the highways and byways? And it doesn't say just invite them. It says compel them to come in. Compel them to come in. Point number five. The finality of death. Turn to Luke chapter 16. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and in fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remembers that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then said he, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, the one raised from the dead. Beloved, tonight there is two destinies. And I want to throw the warning out to all of us here this evening. You are going to be spending eternity in one of these destinies. There is no middle road. There is no middle ground. You're going to either spend eternity in heaven or you're going to spend eternity in hell. There's only two destinies. And my cry tonight is for all of us here this evening that we are ready for the destiny that God has designed for all mankind to have the invitation to come and be a part of. Death is real. Death is final. You might be thinking here this evening that death is going to be a long time before I ever die and before I ever have to face judgment. But I want you to know that this rich man, he wasn't ready to die. He had a lot of things going for him. Lazarus had a lot of things going against him. And it says Lazarus, He even desired to have food from the rich man's table, but the rich man was so busy involved in himself that he didn't have time for Lazarus. It doesn't say, but maybe occasionally he took a little bit of... Instead of giving the scraps to the dogs, maybe he gave gave them to Lazarus. I don't know. But he had no desire to help Lazarus. Lazarus died. It doesn't even say he had a funeral. It says he was carried into Abraham's bosom. The rich man probably had a a very luxurious funeral. He probably was buried in the best coffin, casket that they could purchase. He probably had the best tombstone after he was buried. But the end doesn't stop when our body is placed into the grave. When our body is placed into the grave, it's only the beginning of eternity. Friends, tonight, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Let's look at the dialogue, or let's look at the the conversation between this rich man and Father Abraham. He said, all I'm asking, this is torment, all I'm asking is for one drop of water. Just one drop of water. That's all I'm asking for. Just one drop. It was so, just one drop is all I'm asking for. 
Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. As I look at that verse, because there's no sorrow in heaven, I don't believe that the saints of God, when they find themselves in eternity, that they're going to be able to look into the depths of hell and see the torment that's there. But I do believe that those in hell are going to be able to look and to see those that are in the presence of the Lord. And that's going to be part of the torment. All of a sudden, this man became very evangelistic. He had five brothers. And he said, somehow, warn them that they don't end up here where I am. I have five brothers. They have have Moses and the prophets to listen to. There's a great gulf fixed. They want to be able to open their eyes and to see those that are experiencing. It doesn't say that Lazarus was able to see down where the rich man was. There was a great gulf fix. But the rich man was able to see Lazarus. And that he was in comfort. And that he was being well taken care of. People that find themselves in a Christless eternity. And maybe you're here tonight. And you're not minding the Spirit of God in your life. And you have allowed sin in there. And you know you're not right with God. I said this message tonight is for all of us. And you keep pushing God off. And you keep pushing the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you find yourself in hell. You're going to remember this preacher warning you. If there would be some way that I could save people, I would do it. But I can't. It's only by the Spirit of God working into your hearts, taking the words that I have shared and planting it there. You know tonight if you're ready to meet Christ or not. You know if you're ready to close your eyes in death. And I'm going to give you an opportunity tonight to get right with God if you're not right with Him. If you're clear before God, praise God. Or if you're struggling and you need to, just make an acknowledgement that my heart is... I just need prayer. We're going to sing a song of invitation this evening. And this isn't just for the young people. There could be very well be some fathers that need the altar tonight. There might be even grandpas, grandmothers, mothers. If we want our children to live godly lives as teenagers, we need to be willing to live our life in the presence of them with a clear heaven, a, glow, a glory of the Lord in our soul. And Father, if you're holding sin in your life, even though it might not be known, your family's able to detect that that is just not right. Maybe you as a mother are here tonight and you know that you have, maybe you have never made a commitment to the Lord. 
Maybe you're here this evening as a teenager and you're rebelling. You know God is calling you. And you know that He is speaking to your heart, but you just do not have the courage to respond. The invitation is for you. Maybe you're here tonight as a minister. Maybe you have allowed some things. Maybe you have allowed sin into your heart. The invitation is for you. It's for everyone that's here this evening. I cannot see your heart. I cannot see what's in there. But the Holy Spirit can. And you know if you're right or not. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And this might be new to some of you, but we're going to, we're going to make this here the altar. If God has spoken to you this evening, I want you to feel free to come forward and kneel here at the altar. You might be saying, well, can't I just stand where I am? Or maybe raise my hand. You could. But I want you to know it does something when you're willing to step out of your seat and to come forward because you're acknowledging before all of us that you have a need in your heart and you have a need in your life. And I want to give that invitation. I want to be able to go home tomorrow to know that I have cleared myself and I have given you the warning. If God is speaking to you this evening, you do not need to be a part of this group. The invitation is for all. We're not asking you to join a church by coming up here, a particular church. I think you will want to be a part of a church. But we are just asking for you to just clean your heart up and to get right with God. Don't pass the prodding of the Holy Spirit in your life this evening. Let's pray. Father, we just asked, or we just commit this portion of the service to You. I bore my heart what You have laid there. And Father, we're going to trust You. My prayer is that if anyone... Maybe I shouldn't say if anyone. Father, I'm sure in the group this size, that there's those that need to get right with You. We just ask that You will give courage for people to get up out of their seat and to come forward. Life is not a game to see how long I can hold out or whatever. But Lord, You want to heal relationships tonight. You want to heal marriages. You want to heal homes. You want to heal Your people. Lord, there's a lot of people that are proclaiming the name of Jesus that are still crying for help. And I pray, Lord, that You will meet the need of our hearts again this evening. Father, we're looking to You. And may You receive the glory through it all. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. What shall we sing, brother? We have a song? 354. If God has spoken to you this evening... Feel free to come up. We'll be glad to meet with you. And uh, we'll just move this pulpit to the side. And we'll be glad to pray with you. Anyone, feel free to come as we sing.